0: From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. Today's guest is Steven Schneck, a political philosopher by training and a well-known advocate for Catholic social justice teachings in public life. He spent more than 30 years at the Catholic University of America as a professor, department chair and dean, and he was the founder and longtime director of the Institute for Policy Research and Catholic Studies. He's worked with Catholic Climate Covenant, Catholic Mobilizing Network, Franciscan Action Network, and as a member of the Obama Administration's White House Advisory Council for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. And now, he's here to talk to us today about his latest role. He was recently appointed by President Biden to serve as a commissioner on the Bipartisan United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. What is the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom? What does it do? Steve provides answers, as well as insights into why religious freedom and the freedom of belief are so important to communities around the globe. He highlights a few key issues and regions where religious freedom is particularly threatened that we should keep our eyes on. And he offers his reflections on how Catholics in the United States can advocate on and think about this important issue. And now, here's Steve Schneck. All right, we're so happy to have Commissioner Stephen Schneck with us today. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for joining AMDG.
1: Oh, it's a delight to be here, Eric. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Of course. We're we're so excited to talk to you because you were recently appointed by President Biden to the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. So why don't you start a little bit by by telling us what that is and, and, and what you do uh, as part of it?
1: Okay. Um... Let's see where to begin. the uh, The commission was actually created by an act of Congress in uh, 1998, and it was uh, it was created uh, for the purpose of advancing and protecting religious freedom uh, and freedom of belief internationally. That is, you know, all around the globe. Um, it's it's an independent commission, meaning that it's not. Um, uh, under the control of the, of the executive branch or, or, in fact, even under the control of Congress, but in fact, it operates independently uh, of both. It's uh, also bipartisan. I should probably emphasize that especially. So the, the way in which um, uh, commissioners are selected is that each party um, gets to uh, pick a certain number of seats. Uh, the, currently, the way that it works the president of the United States um, picks three, um, and then the president's party in Congress uh, gets to pick two. In this particular case, um, that would be um, uh, Speaker Pelosi and Majority Leader Schumer each got to pick one. And then, and then the party that's not the president's, in this case the Republicans in, in Congress, get to pick four. And so um, Minority Leader McCarthy and uh, my Minority Leader uh, uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate uh, got to pick uh, two each. So that's that's how, in fact, we ended up. So right now, our composition is uh, five Democrats and uh, four Republicans. And we serve a four-year, uh, pardon me, a two-year term um, with the opportunity to be renewed once. And uh, we have kind of staggered terms. So People come and go at, at you know, different times in the, um, you know during the year. So that's how it works. And and in, in I guess I would say maybe in, in practice the way that the way that our work uh, shapes up is that we focus on on the most gross abuses by state and non-state actors uh, of religious freedom and freedom belief around the globe. And uh, and uh, we have a, a victims uh, list of victims of, uh, of persecution around the globe. We have um, a list of countries of particular concern uh, where uh, religious freedom and freedom of belief is perhaps most challenged. And then uh, we also track specific instances of violation around the globe.
0: You said that um, the commission was originally set up by Congress, right? And I, I wonder if you can say uh, what a, what was happening in the moment of history when this began? What was the, the, the instigating factor that led to uh, you know the United States saying this is, is a commission uh, that is, is needed now um, to do this work?
1: Right. Well, in, in fact, I'm, I'm really privileged to be serving with former Congressman Frank Wolf, uh, Republican of Virginia, and the IRFA Act of 1998, in which which created uh, the commission, was really his brainchild. And uh, Congressman Wolf, um, in particular, had a long experience of um, uh, witnessing, you know, abuses to religious freedom uh, in the former Soviet bloc. And he himself will talk, for example, about the. Um, the eye-opening experiences he had in places like Bucharest, Romania, and so forth. And that was actually the spur, I think, um, uh, for uh, you know Congressman Wolf to, to uh, see the need for uh, this particular commission. And, um, it, it, and of course, it ended up being not just uh, Congressman Wolf, but members of both parties. This was championed at the time, for example, by uh, President Bill Clinton, a recognition that um, uh, religious liberty and, and freedom of conscience were, um, you know, at, at, in jeopardy all around the world.
0: You know, you have a, a long and impressive resume. Uh, so I'm wondering if you could point to a few things that you've done throughout your career uh, that you're really looking forward uh, to bringing to bear on this work. Uh, you know, like what, what are the certain things that you learned in, in, in the work that you've done in the past and how might that be applied
1: Right. Well, my my training as a scholar is as a political philosopher. My doctorate's from uh, Notre Dame. And, um, you know, my career uh, was nearly 35 years at the Catholic University of of America uh, as a professor there. And uh, where I taught political philosophy, political theory, uh, with a special focus on uh, questions of rights and liberties and democracy and so forth and and you can imagine that religious liberty and freedom of conscience were very much uh, you know part of my concerns throughout my my academic career moreover as an activist i've i've um you know really been an advocate uh, for social justice particularly social justice kind of in the um what i would would call the uh, inspired by catholic social uh, doctrine um my work as an activist has also often focused on questions of uh, the place of religion in society and the role of religion in public life and such. So obviously, both my my work as an activist, as well as my long career in academia, um, you know, are are part and parcel to, um, uh, you know, what informs me in my work on the commission. But I would also say that I I had an amazing experience in the uh, 80s and 90s uh, at the Catholic University of America, where I was a part of a team of of uh, Catholic scholars uh, who were uh, we were we were charged to uh, try to encourage the development of interreligious dialogue behind the Iron Curtain and uh, in other places around the globe where. Um, religious, um, you know, freedom was being challenged, and so we worked uh, in 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 Poland, in in what was then the Soviet Union, what now now places like Estonia and uh, Lithuania. We worked um, in the in what was then Czechoslovakia, it's now the Czech Republic and Slovakia. We worked. Uh, in um, what is now uh, Georgia, the country of Georgia, and we worked in the Middle East as well, Uh, although I didn't myself work in these areas. We had scholars that worked in China and Vietnam and so forth. And that work, I think, in particular, fostered in me a a, a real appreciation of the importance of of religious uh, freedom. Uh, It it was eye-opening to see uh, just how jeopardized religious freedom was in all of these places, and how absolutely critical uh, religious freedom and freedom of conscience was for uh, as a kind of as a foundation, really, for all of the other rights and freedoms that um, are the mark, I think, of of uh, of, of real civilization. So it's uh, so that work in the '80s and '90s was critical, I think, in in shaping me for my new role.
0: Yeah, no, that's amazing. What what a what a cool array of experiences. Um I I'm always personally fascinated at the 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 role and the value add uh, in some of these more sensitive diplomatic uh, you know instances that that faith-based actors can play. Um you know whether you're talking about peace building or interreligious dialogue or even this kind of, you know, back channel negotiation work. Can you I don't know, share any reflections that you have, um, either from your know, personal experience or, or even just you know your own scholarship, about the the role again a, a faith based actor can play in in some of these these important moments um, that might uh, not be as available to, to different actors?
1: One one of the reasons in which faith based actors I think can be particular particularly effective in these cases is that they're not not at least in 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 that the role that I had previously, we're not representing the state, so we we really were independent uh, scholars, and we were meeting with other independent scholars, and so this wasn't in 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 my case in, back in the eighties and nineties. You know, I wasn't there as an American; I was there as someone who was just interested in you know whatever the academic topic of the conference or the lecture might have been. It might have been on. Um, uh, you know some aspect for example of Catholic, Catholic social doctrine like uh, um, you know the preferential option for the poor or something like that uh, so, but that, that entree gives us the ability to reach out to actors that otherwise you know would not be um, you know would not be on the radar so the State Department doesn't work with actors like that and, um, and, 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 and scholars can, can work there And I would say just in general, the angle of religious uh, freedom uh, is particularly valuable in today's world, where we see, in fact, the um, interchange between religious ideas and political ideas happening everywhere. Um, You know, for too long, I think, um, international policies, um, not just of the United States, but of, of, of many of the countries, uh, you know, around the globe, just just were not sensitive to you know that dimension of human life, and I, I'm I'm really pleased to you know that the United States has taken the you know initiative that it has with this act in 1998, and I I I'm I'm delighted to see that it's now being replicated um, in countries around the world. Uh, so um, you know, many of the countries in Europe and some of the countries in Latin America are you know finding. Uh, inspiration from the commission and uh, our work, and forming similar kinds of organizations, or designating, you know, ambassadors, uh, you know, for religious freedom in their own countries.
0: Yeah. You've you've talked a lot about um, obviously the importance of religious freedom. You know it's the the name of the commission, right? Um, but it's also kind of rooted in our um, you know our, our constitution, our 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 experience of political life in the United States, and and we hear it a lot in political discourse. I think also it's it's easy for um, people to think of religion, you know, religious freedom as a political talking point that might get um, overshadowed by certain ideological uh, persuasions. So how do you? Uh, you know, make sure that this again, as you said, this really important fundamental right uh, that is so important around the world doesn't get co-opted by uh, these more like political divisions within our society, but but is rather again seen for the important uh, value that it is.
1: Yeah, I, that's a, a great question. And one of the things I have to say that I'm I've been so delighted uh, so far <laughs> with um, my experience on the commission is just. Um, how nonpartisan, or um, maybe the better word would be uh, transpartisan, above partisanship, how how uh, uh, beyond partisan. Uh, you know the work of the commission uh, seems to be. So we are, of course. I you know I was appointed by President Biden. You know others on the on the commission were appointed by. Uh, you know. Uh, Minority Leader McCarthy or or, or Senator Mitch McConnell, um, and yet, despite all the, the you know the fact that we that it's partisan process put us in place, you know our, our working together has been um, so remarkable that you know frankly I don't think it's it's very easy to tell who is a Republican and who is a Democrat in the way that the work of the commission proceeds. Um, and one of the reasons I think is because the, when we look, you know, beyond the borders of the United States at the abuses of religious freedom and the abuses of, relig- of freedom of, of, of belief around the world, these gross instances of abuse just call out in such a way that, you know, partisanship just seems to not you know, be a significant factor in how we want to respond. So if we look at the situation of the Rohingya in, in Burma or, the, you know, the terrible persecution of the Uyghurs in China, or uh, if we look at what Boko Haram, you know, is, is doing, you know, to Christians in, in Nigeria and other places in West Africa, these instances, I think, are so egregious that, um, you know, whatever partisan differences we might have related to religious freedom just basically disappear. And, uh, you know, and so I think that that's, that's uh, you know, refreshing. I mean, it's nice to be on, um, on a commission where partisanship doesn't really seem to matter all of that much, um, you know, where we can agree, um, despite our party differences, you know, about some of these, these matters. I would also say, and here, this is an argument that I often make when I talk about this with American audiences. Um, And that is, I think once once you begin to do this kind of work, you realize that freedom of belief is really fundamental for all other rights. And that when that freedom is denied, it's, it's like... The canary in the coal mine that points to dangers to all of the other rights and freedoms that we value so much in society, and when we when it's framed in that way, I think that everyone can agree. We might have obviously you know differences uh, of, of degree about how we understand um, the importance of uh, religious freedom, but I think that everyone begins to understand its fundamental importance, and that certainly seems to be the way that we operate in the commission.
0: So you've already been talking a little bit about some of these hot spots, some of these, you know, the, the pressing issues uh, that, that demand the commission's attention. Maybe you can dive a little deeper into some um, that are really keeping you up at night.
1: Yeah, that's a terrific question. Boy, it's, hard. it's almost hard to prioritize. West Africa right now is extremely scary. Let um, me just take... Nigeria as, as a, a particular focus, but the, the problems of, of West Africa, you know, go farther beyond the, the you know, beyond Nigeria, the Sahel, the, you know, the Lakes region, um, Central African Republic. I mean, all of these places are um, in, in, uh, in, in turmoil of various degrees where religious uh, freedom and freedom of belief are at issue. So in, in Nigeria, uh, I think everybody's familiar with the uh, you know the actions of Boko Haram uh, in uh, the eastern part of Nigeria, operating um, oftentimes against uh, Christian minorities uh, in 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 that region. You know, but in addition, um, the uh, so-called ISIS West Africa, ISWAP. Is uh, very active in some of the, the northern regions of, of Nigeria. Um, the um, a tribal group, the 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 Fulani, uh, that are aligned with the government of Nigeria and um, are engaging in, in in militant activities that that often seem to be. Um, um, focused on uh, Christian minorities uh, in their regions. So there's a, a, a real problem for religious uh, liberty uh, in Nigeria. And in fact, um, the commission is, is uh, calling on the State Department to recognize uh, Nigeria as a country of particular concern, a CPC, CPC we call them, um, uh, you know, to, to put on uh, uh, the State Department's list of countries of, pol- of political concern, uh, you know, because of this. And I, I have to say that you know, as Nigeria goes, I'm afraid all of West Africa goes. This is uh, in danger of becoming a failed state, in part because of the um, you know the, the 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 various antagonisms that are playing out in the conflicts in that region.
0: What um. So, so I guess as far as the Commission's work goes, uh, you, you recognize uh, these issues in Nigeria. You, you make a, su- uh, a suggestion, a proposal to the State Department. Um, are, are you doing uh, kind of on the ground research? Are you uh, like what is the actual I guess what is actual day to day work look like? Uh, and then what's the ultimate uh, you know, end result that you would hope to see? And just taking Nigeria again as, as an example.
1: Yeah, I, I, I hate to single out Nigeria in too much because, you know, the situation in China, uh, the situation in Iran and Saudi Arabia, the situation in Burma, uh, increasingly the situation in places like Russia and Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and so forth. I mean, these, this is we have a lot of hot spots, in fact. But you ask about, the, the, you know, the, the way in which our, our work is done. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that we have an amazing staff. It's it's relatively small, about twenty people, um, largely composed of analysts who have the language skills and the uh, the the country skills and 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 frankly the you know the religious skills uh, you know to um, um, bring some expertise to bear on on these specific things. And so um, you know we have. Um, yeah, we, we recently made a, a, a trip to the Azerbaijani embassy to talk about uh, the situation in Azerbaijan, and I was, uh, you know, surprised that our analyst was able to speak in Azerbaijani with the uh, you know the people at the embassy. So I mean, we have, um, you know, have these expert analysts that that we can rely on. So that's they are the those analysts and. Um, and, and it, the operations crew that works with them are responsible for putting together our reports, provide us with information about what's happening in-country, um, identify specific instances. I, 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 you know, not only don't I have all of those languages, I, I, you know, at, at the level of detail that they, that they can cover them, I just truly can't, no matter how many newspapers I read. So uh, you know I, we rely on our staff for a lot of a lot of that work, and then the commissioner's job is to basically take these recommendations from the staff and I'll uh, think about them as a commission. We debate them. We um, you know bring our own you know you know backgrounds into our assessments and so forth, and and make the decisions about what goes up and what goes down and so forth.
0: So how, how should how do you suggest that we as american catholics think about this issue of religious freedom uh you know internationally I, you know i always um am mindful of our our history as as you know catholics in this country uh vis-a-vis religious freedom right you know, the catholic church was was opposed to religious liberty at the the founding of the country um and now in many cases you know the catholic church is is sometimes the largest proponent uh the loudest proponent and sometimes of religious freedom so you know how do you again, think, think of our, you know, church's relationship to this issue uh, in this particular context. Yeah.
1: Well, even beyond our, our own country, Catholicism, of course, has a mixed and frankly, very often a dark history in regards to religious freedom. And I I think the, I think we really need to own up to that as Catholics and recognize, um, you know, all of the ways in which uh, over the course of history, the Catholic church and, and, Catholic communities have acted against um, religious freedom. It's, uh, I mean, it's 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 really a horrible history. In fact, if if you think about it, um, but in in fact, as American Catholics, what I would stress is that we should remember when our own religion was not mainstream in the United States in the way that it is now, um, and we don't. I mean, I'm of an age where I can can remember in fact, uh, where being a Catholic in public life raised all sorts of issues in other people's minds. Uh, and, uh, and further on in the back, in, 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 the, in our past in the United States, uh, you know, we Catholics of course experience outright persecution and, and clearly discrimination. Um, and I, I think that we should approach the question of religious freedom. Um, With that in mind and and realize that uh, maybe we as Catholics in the United States have a special responsibility because of what we went through and the way that we understand the issue now in our bones, we have a special responsibility to, to foster and promote religious freedom everywhere around the world.
0: So I want to read uh, an excerpt from uh, Fratelli Tutti, Pope Francis's uh, latest encyclical, and and I want to get your response, how, how you kind of think about it in terms of the work you're doing. So the Pope writes, ancient conflicts thought long buried are breaking out anew, while instances of a myopic, extremist, resentful and aggressive nationalism are on the rise. In some countries, a concept of popular and national unity influenced by various ideologies is creating new forms of selfishness and a loss of the social sense under the guise of defending national interests. There are those who appear to feel encouraged or at least permitted by their faith to support varieties of narrow and violent nationalism, xenophobia and contempt, and even the mistreatment of those who are different. How do you respond?
1: I completely share His Holiness's concern uh, on this matter. I, I think this, I, you know, I, I, this particular passage in Fratelli Tutti is one that I have underlined and, and talked about and thought about, you know, you know multiple times. Um, a couple of things are, are involved here. First of all, I, I want to note that the Pope here is is drawing our attention to the rise of populist nationalism around the world and identifying it uh, as something that we should be concerned about. And I think that, um, that we Catholics need to be especially sensitive to um, those instances around the world where um, populist nationalism is fostering a kind of tyranny of the majority um, vis-a-vis those who are different or those who believe differently than we do. Um, that's the, the Pope is completely right. And I should very much, as I said, share his concerns in this regard. I think the way forward is to educate people of faith um, to recognize that the free practice of their faith is actually enriched by freedom of religion and freedom of belief. Um that denying freedom uh, to others to believe or to practice their faith actually taints and and compromises the authenticity of their own uh, conscience, of their own um, beliefs. So freedom of religion and belief is really foundational for all other freedoms and all other rights. And anything that we would do to restrict it inevitably leads to less and less rights and freedom for all. Uh, so, um, and, and it has, His Holiness is essentially pointing that out in this passage. Uh, so I, I, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm completely with uh, the Pope on this one.
0: One of the, the principles of Catholic social teaching, right, upholds uh, you know, rights and responsibilities, right. That's kind of the, uh, the the quick the quick way of saying it: rights and responsibilities. And I wonder how you think about religious freedom, religious liberty, um, as as you know a way in which we should approach, or maybe as rights and responsibilities, as a way to approach the upholding of, of religious freedom, because it's not always um, as clear cut and easy, right? There, there's there's sometimes a, a real creative tension in there
1: right in fact the tension is is essential essential in uh, you know the way that it works so yeah all freedoms all rights ultimately involve a kind of a give and take between the individual and the common good and that's a you know of course a, 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 a sometimes a tricky and a complicated uh, path to you know to walk but we recognize in our faith the you know the the truth of both sides of this both the inherent dignity and sacredness of the individual uh, human life and the individual human conscience as well as we recognize the the utter importance of uh the common good for all and uh the 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 practice the you know the on the ground working out of how freedom of religion and freedom of belief uh should um you know, play out is, of course, uh, you know, one of the, you know, one, one of the, um, you know, most most complicated aspects. I think of of uh, uh, you know our our public life, and we see this here in the United States, uh, as for example, in a number of the recent uh, Supreme Court uh, decisions. Um, you know, whether it's the Kennedy case or. Uh, or the Dobbs case, or you know any of these you know uh, recent decisions by the Supreme Court. This is a very complicated uh, thing to sort out, um, you know. But ideally, <laughs> ideally, of course. Uh, and and actually, I think Fratelli Tutti does such a good job in in kind of charting out this ideal you know space in which you know both are recognized. But ideally. Um The freedom that I have in my individual conscience to believe what I choose to believe should, in fact, be maximized um, by um, my recognition of the the limits imposed by the common good for all. And that's uh, yeah, that's that's how it should work out.
0: Yeah what other tools in our kind of Catholic social tradition uh, do you think about as you're as you're doing this work as, as you're you know looking at issues of populist uh, nationalism and 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 you know authoritarian regimes and all the oppression what what are those Catholic social teaching tools that you you lean into in addition to rights and responsibilities
1: yeah yeah um... I, I think, in particular, I've already mentioned the idea of the common good. So, of course, the you know the the importance of the common good. I would also stress the idea of solidarity, um, particularly the um, you know the way in which the concept of solidarity, that uh, I would say the doctrine of solidarity, has been developed. Um, you know, most recently by Pope Francis in in Fratelli Tutti, as well as I you know to uh, you know to some extent in several of the other encyclicals and exhortations. So uh, I would say that I think um, I mean I mean frankly I think that the idea of the preferential option for the poor raises um, um, you know raises any discussion of um, freedom of religion at, uh, you know to a new height because primarily where we see um, populations um, you know religious freedom being compromised or limited, it tends to be populations that are otherwise marginalized or repressed or poor uh, uh, around the world. And so, in fact, there's an amazing amount of, um, uh, you know, coherence between, you know, the church's teaching on uh, on preferential option for the poor and the church's teaching in regards to uh, the importance of solidarity. Um, as it relates to questions of, of religious freedom so I, I would I would identify those but you know I, I don't think it's um, it, it it's it's probably right to just um, cherry pick you know two or three uh, elements in the church's social doctrine here because we should think of the church's social doctrine as a as a complete whole and um, in that sense you know perhaps, every aspect, every element of the church's doctrine uh, should inform us in the way that we think about um, freedom of religion and, and freedom of belief.
0: Yeah. It, almost as I think about it as a, as a way of proceeding, right? Kind of a, a, whole, a whole paradigm in which we approach the world.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, as a Catholic, I mean, I, I, I you know, obviously I, I'm on a commission in which, you know, I'm, I'm one of only two Catholics. And so, you know, I don't I don't operate on the commission as a Catholic, but nevertheless, you know, my own conscience and my own thinking is informed by, um, you know, you know, you know by my, uh, worldview, um, that, uh, owes so much to the church's social doctrine.
0: Yeah. Last question, Steve, what's bringing you hope right now as you begin this, this work?
1: I mean, first, let me just say it's, um, it's a time that we should be concerned about religious freedom around the world. Um, you know, things are happening all over and not just in the developing world, not just in, you know, countries that are obviously already authoritarian and, and uh, leaning in, in even a totalitarian direction, but... I mean, the dangers to, to religious freedom are popping up everywhere. I think that there is something in, um, you know, the zeitgeist of the moment in which religious freedom is, is, is under challenge. So I think this is a time for everybody to be um, just more sensitive to issues of religious freedom. You know, that said, um, you know, I do feel a great deal of... Uh, a great deal of, of, of hope in where our church is right now um, on this topic. I'm, I'm very excited about the papacy of Pope Francis and, and believe that it's, it's brought a, uh, you know, a, a, fresh, um, a fresh wind into our thinking on topics like this, on the challenges that, that um, religious freedom and freedom of belief face around the world. I also feel personally a great deal of, of of hope as a result of the experience that I'm having on the commission, working with you know commissioners of other faith traditions, uh, commissioners of different political parties, um, commissioners with you know very different you know life experiences from um, around the country, and yet. Um, who are able to come together and recognize, uh, you know, all of these horrible challenges that I alluded to before. So I, I feel personal hope, you know, with this new role that I have. And then, as I say, I, I feel a particular hope as well um, because of the, the new perspective that, that Pope Francis has brought to, to me as a practicing Catholic.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a time where we need some hope, right? It's a lot of, a lot of darkness in the world uh, today, so it's good. Uh, this, this work is really important, and, and we're really grateful for you uh, for coming on and talking to us today. Commissioner Steve Schneck, thank you so much, and uh, we hope you'll come back.
1: Thank you, Eric. This was a pleasure. I'd love to come back.
0: AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C., and occasionally in my basement. This episode was edited by me, Eric Clayton. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference Communications team is Mike Jordan-Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Megan Leapsch, Beggy Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits at jesuits.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Get weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know would like to learn more about becoming a Jesuit or Jesuit life in general, connect with your local vocations promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as St. Ignatius may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.